The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Hello, everybody. This is the week of March 6th newscast for Colorado Equal Security. We're in the studio here, Alex and I. Alex, how's your weekend been? You know, it was pretty good, Rob. Uh, we were up in Steamboat all weekend skiing, had a good time. Could have used a little bit of new snow, but it was nice anyway. Yeah. Uh, it was beautiful weather, right? It's it's spring, almost almost summer weather here uh, in you know early March. Yeah, exactly. How about you? Good weekend? Yeah, I, I had a lot of fun. We got to play some poker last night, and today I... Went and played volleyball outside. Don't get to do that a ton during uh, during March. And then I took my uh, my seven year old out and we played tennis. He's never he's never swung a tennis racket. That was a an did, interesting experience. Did you uh, teach him like the uh, the big poppy commercials? Swinging for the fences with the tennis ball. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we hit we hit a lot of them a long way. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and uh, and dive into the newscast for the week. Um, first item on our list today to talk about is an investment for Surewell Software. They they had fifty million invested by a private equity firm KKR. Yeah, and uh, Cherwell is a, a firm out of Colorado Springs. They're not a direct security company, but they do IT service management, asset management, uh, other related uh, services like that, You know, which are sort of underpinnings for, for security and security processes. Yeah. It looks like from, you know, from Owler, which is a great website to use if you want to learn about kind of the, the foundations for companies. Uh, it looks like they have somewhere in the ballpark of 350 employees. Um, headquarters in the Springs. They also have an office downtown Denver. So they're obviously a nice local Colorado company that's uh, got a great big investment coming in. Yeah, good for them. So hopefully, hopefully that frees up some jobs here for for security folks and other people who want to want to be in the in the vendor in the biz, vendor business. Yeah, cool. So next on the list we have um, another investment, eight point seven million. Sorry, six point seven million. I can't read um, for, uh, slam data, another Boulder software, uh, firm, they do uh, big data. So again, not directly a security company, but you know, security is built on lots and lots of data. Um, so the, this company looks like it could be uh, pretty good in that area. Yeah. It's, it's obviously great to see the, the, the startup, the tech industry booming here in Colorado, seeing that investment coming into Boulder. Uh, according to the news on this, they're, they're looking to double the size of the company. They must have about 15 right now, hoping to get to 30 uh, using this investment. Awesome. Uh, next on the list, um, some random guy at, at Ping uh, wrote a blog post recapping RSA. I've never heard of the guy before, but I don't know if you want to comment on that, Rob. Yeah, yeah so... so uh, Obviously, we're talking about me. Uh, I, I wrote a, a podcast, or excuse me, a blog about what, what were the big trends from RSA this year. Uh, and really the, the goal is, as we look around the vendor community and you know, see where is the industry pointing, uh, we want to see, have an idea where we think things are moving. So, uh, you know, top of the list, and this is you know, obviously very news-driven, a lot of stuff about the Internet of Things, IoT, um, the Mirai botnet, the, the Dyn outage, cast a big spotlight on IoT yeah. as a security issue, right? Yep. How are we going to secure all of these refrigerators and security cameras and yeah. you know all these other widgets that we're putting on the internet now? And that's that's the security angle on it. From a from this a business enablement angle, there are a, a lot of really cool uh, opportunities for IoT. Uh, at work at, at Ping, I get to hear about some of the cool stuff going on. You know, from a, a fast food joint that wants to. To, to make their 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 fryers their deep fryers enabled so that they'll know when the temperature's been too high too long potentially you know causing a, a, a risk for for, for fire um, or to a, a big um, a provider of television services who want to have enable uh, have smarter set top devices that can 
better integrate with their with their customers and allow them to get better services. So there's a big push to get IoT um, figured out, and then obviously security is a big part of figuring that out. Um, next thing on the list is really machine learning and AI. Those are the buzzwords that that as you walk around the expo floor are are you hear everywhere. And and it, what it kind of seems like is as you went around, someone just started throwing machine learning stickers on all of the booths, right? <laughs> like maybe that wasn't what they've been doing, but but by golly, I better have that that buzzword there. Yeah, I think if anyone has had anything that's even close to machine learning or AI as part of their product, it is now uh, front and center as the a main feature of their product. And in the, I don't want to talk too badly about this because I do believe that machine learning is the way that we are able to get more efficient, right? This is the way we can get on top of um, of the bad guys who have this this highly leveraged advantage against us of you know only having to be right once where we'd be wrong be right every time um, but right now it does seem a little early it seems like machine learning is is, is very nascent um, but it's gonna it's gonna go everywhere and you know it's obviously endpoints it's firewall it's um, it's IAM it's all the different steps along the way where we're trying to embed intelligence and make it work better and faster less manually um, third trend that we picked up on is a lot of folks who are, who are really uncomfortable with the new global regulations and GDPR, the um, General Data Protection Requirements coming out of Europe, would be the number one on the top of that list. Uh, if you do business in um, in Europe or if you're an international company that you know might do business in Europe, these these are relevant for you. And, and I think really what I saw there in, at RSA was just a reflection that not a lot of people feel like they have it all really figured out and are really comfortable with it. Um, there's a lot of resources out there, but you, you do need to figure out what are the requirements uh, for GDPR. Alex, have you, have you looked at that at all? Uh, you know, I've looked at a little bit on the outside, but luckily for me, um, you know, my company is US-based, so it's not a, a big issue for us. A couple of the, I'd say the, one of the real large things that's going to come out of this is the right to be forgotten and the ability for consumers to say, hey, you have to take me out of all of your systems. Um, and right now, if you haven't built that into a system, you know, what do you do? Uh, there, there, there's, you know, by May of next year, you have to have all of these protections in place. Um, and you could do it manually. You could say, hey, you, you dropped me a note and I'm going to go into my databases and, and scrub you out. And that could take, you know, maybe that takes two hours to do, or you can have an automated process to do it. Um, but there is a requirement that you're going to have to do that. And, th and then they also call it, what do they call it? An inventory of, uh, of data. So you basically have to let them know, you have to let consumers know what data you're holding about them and what you're using that for. Well, you know, of course, if you have artificial intelligence, Rob, then it would be much easier to, to pull that data out for and, people to be forgotten. And maybe artificial data too, who knows, right? Uh, the fourth one I, I threw on here is deceptive technologies. And this one, um, this one's really something that's, you know, maybe not so heavy at RSA, but I've just been seeing generally around the industry, folks who have kind of rebooted the idea of the honeypot and honey tokens and, you know, just basically setting tripwires throughout your environment to say, hey, we know we're not going to stop everybody, um, but we want to make sure if, if they're in there, we know about it. And we, we want to pre prevent present with the bad guys with kind of a false front, right? Yeah, I, I definitely saw some of those vendors at RSA talk to a couple of them. Uh, you know, people trying to essentially automate that. You know, honeypots have been around for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, for a long time it was just, oh, hey, I'm going to sit this thing out here and, you know, I know no one should, should try and talk to it if I see something. Um, that I know something might be up, but this people seem to be taking it a step further. Um, you know, putting more more coordination. You know, enticing people more to go to these sites so that they can really figure out when yeah. something bad is happening on the networks. I'm I'm a, a big supporter of deceptive technologies and and really honey tokens is one of the things I like the best. If you can figure out 
let's say figure out the, the 20 areas in your environment that are the highest, that, that have the highest criticality data in it. And say, well, if someone was gonna go after this data, what would they have to do before they got there, right? They'd have to open up this window, they'd have to you know, log in with this account, whatever those things are, well, let's set, let's set a tripwire on those things. So before, they, before they're able to, to get to that highly valuable data, I'm gonna know about it. I, maybe I can't stop them from getting in because of business processes or I just don't have the technology or the ability to do that, but I can at least know about it when it happens. Yeah, I think the other piece is, um, you know, attackers for the most part, unless you're talking about, you know, a state-sponsored entity or something like that, they still only have a limited amount of resources. So the more of these things that you throw up that, um, you know, may be a, a false avenue for them to go after that takes more time from them, you know, it, it raises the amount of effort that they have to put in to, to finish attacking yeah. to finish attacking you. Yeah, that's great. So last last bullet I had really from RSA was um, the... The, the move from the perimeter of a network being where we're going to do security into really bringing in micro perimeters. And, and that's going to be defined at the endpoint, at the resource you're protecting. And what, what we at Ping are really calling identity defined security, where it's based on what is the identity of the person? What should they have access to? And, and very modular. And you can, you can think of it kind of like microservices versus the monolithic development and, and, and software development. Uh, development where we're really trying to get as granular as we can with not only what the resources and the people are, but what those permissions between them are. Yeah, and I think that as we see more of a move towards the cloud, um, you know, other areas like that where you're uh, you're have much more ability to spin things up, spin things down. You have uh, you know much smaller um, pieces of your infrastructure that that makes complete sense. Yeah. All right, well, so that, that's it for the blog post. Obviously, the, the link's on the, in the show notes if you want to read it. Send me some comments as you, as you have questions or, or complaints. Um, so the, that last one and the next one both kind of came from our review of the, of the local security company's press releases and news. Uh, Route 9B, uh, once again, for the fifth quarter in a row, is number one on the cybersecurity 500 list. Wow, number one. <laughs> um, well, pretty cool, right? Five, yeah, was no, it five, that, five awesome. quarters in a row. Yeah, and I think you know, it, before we started, we talked a little bit about you know what is the the cybersecurity five hundred. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a it's a great question. As you know, it's great to be number one on a list, but what does that really mean? Um, so so neither Alex nor I really had ever heard of this list until we saw Route Nine B, you know, claiming at, to be at the top one, of it, right? right. So, so we did a little a little digging here to figure out what it is. So uh, the list is put together by a company called Cybersecurity Ventures. Um, the criteria that they say that they use is um, they're they're talking to um, practitioners and service providers and doing research to figure out um, you know who are the most innovative and you know, sort of in my mind who is the most talked about, most highly thought of uh, cybersecurity companies that are that are out there. Um, criteria that they had were. Uh, the sector, cybersecurity sector that they're in, the problem solved, customer base, feedback from CISOs, uh, evaluators, VARs, the amount of funding that they have, growth, media coverage, lots of things like that that they go into to creating this list. Yeah, it, the, one of the words that were in the press release that stuck out to me was that they're trying to find the hot and innovative companies. What is, hot and innovative. And, and they're very clear. They say this is subjective. Um, you know, you're not going to go find any numbers behind these things. And they, they clearly say it's not based on revenue and it's not based on growth or employees. Um, looking at the top, uh, you know, I got the top 20 in front of me right now. It's a kind of a strange mix of companies, right? Um, Route 9B is, is a consulting company. You got Ernst & Young as number four. I probably didn't think of them as, as one of the most innovative and hot security companies out there. Yeah, I wouldn't have. Forcepoint right above them who you know, used to be WebSense. It's the combination of WebSense and Raytheon. 
FireEye, Lockheed, Sophos, you know, companies you've heard of. And then number 10 and 11, I had I'd never heard of either of these, um, Sarah Brin and Clearwater Compliance. And that's not a person, not uh, someone yeah. named Sarah Brin. Sarah hyphen Brin. Um, but yeah, I, there's a number of companies on the list that I've heard of, a number of companies that I, I don't know or, or know very little about. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I still don't know what to make of the list. Yeah. It, um, it, it, what it looks like to me is it's probably really good for press releases and getting some clicks and, and driving some interest in the company that makes it and the companies that are on it. So, you know, more power to them. The good news for us in Colorado is we have we have a pretty strong showing on the list. I think it said twelve companies directly in Colorado and twenty one in the Rocky Mountain region. Yeah, um, that is always good. Um, even if we don't know how good the list is, having people in Colorado on the list is always a good thing. Um, but again, you know, congratulations to to Route Nine B for again being at the top of the list. Uh, so the next uh, next one on the list here is Managed Methods. Um, Managed Methods is another Colorado company, and, and I didn't look to see if they made the Cybersecurity <laughs> 500 list. We'll, we'll take a look. Uh, Managed Methods is a Boulder-based um, cloud access security broker, which is called a CASB. So they compete with folks uh, like, like Netscope and Sky High. Those are kind of the, the big players in the list, giving you visibility into what goes into your um, goes into your cloud services and giving some, some ability to... Um, to manage that, right? Manage that access. Yeah, and uh, the particular article here is for an integration with Checkpoint and their DLP. Um, uh, at a previous company, you know, we used a different uh, CASB vendor to, to do something similar where um, as data was going in and out of, of cloud services, you could send it to the, the DLP provider that you had, in this case, their Checkpoint. Um, so I, I think it's a really good integration for them. Having that as part of your your CASB, I think, is a great feature. You know, yeah. folks that are, are really looking to control the data in and out of your cloud services, this is really key. And, you know, you and I have both had the chance to talk to several of the folks at Managed Methods in the past. Um, they're, they're good contributors to the local community. Uh, if you guys are looking for a, a CASB project, I'd say talk to them. You know, Alex, you, over the years, you and I have talked a little bit about CASB, and I think we both agreed in the past that it's... Uh, Kind of a, we thought of as a feature that would get rolled up into another product at some point, right? Yeah, I, I think that it's a great service. I think it's a service that we need now. But my my assumption is that someday um, this will be just th- something that's provided either by the, the service provider themselves or by you know some other larger provider. Yeah, this is a, one of the problems that I, I struggle with quite a bit because when I said it you know two years ago when you and I started talking about it, I was thinking, well, clearly you just roll it into your firewall. And, and it, you know, it, but, but now... You know, now as things are moving more and more out of the firewall, that's not going to it's not going to work that way, and and the problem is there is no other great central place to roll this into. It the the service providers are going to do their own little narrow niche of, of visibility, but just for their just for their service, right? So there's I, I still think that it seems like less than a complete solution, but I also at this point don't know where it would go. Not, not to throw it uh, anything too much towards you, Rob, but I could see where a, an identity provider <laughs> and a CASB could be a good combination. Sure. Yeah, and, and obviously that's something that, that Ping and other IAM providers, we, we do a lot of integrations there. Um, so, so it may, may very well be, but it's, it's an interesting question, and, and the market's going to continue to, um, to define where that goes, I think, over time. Great. And then uh, last thing we have on the list, list today, uh, Drew Labo who we, uh, we interviewed uh, on an earlier show. 
Uh, CISO for Denver Health is no longer the CISO for Denver Health. He has yeah. left. He's gone out on his own to, to be a consultant. Yeah. Well, so big congratulations to Drew. This is something that you know he's been building for quite a while. Um, it, it was ju- actually just a couple days ago on Friday that he that he had his last day at Denver Health. Uh, he's really diving full speed into his his consulting business, which is the Rocky Mountain HIPAA Guru. If if you guys have healthcare consulting for security, you need he's he's absolutely the guy to talk to. Um, anyway. Congratulations, Drew. I'm sure he's going to do great. I'm sure he will as well. All right, let's dive into the uh, events coming up. This week, SecureSet has their free hacking workshop. This We've talked about their events before. Really excited to see that they have another one coming this week on Tuesday night, Application Security 101. Uh, on the 7th and 8th this week are the ISSA March meetings. Um, so on the 7th at lunch is in Boulder. Um, the 7th in the evening is in Denver. And the eighth at lunchtime is in the tech center. And we have Crane Runton giving a, giving a, a presentation around why and how he created a uh, an open source PKI uh, solution. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's sort of a follow on to the trainings that he did last month. Um, you know, a little more at a high level, not how you actually do it, but you know the why the do why it. you do it. Yep. Uh, next weekend is the Rocky Mountain uh, CCDC, so uh, I would imagine. They always need volunteers. I'm, I'm sure they're still looking for volunteers. If you uh, if you have some time to go help out with that event, it's a great event. Um, then uh, I would check out the website uh, through the link we have in the the show notes. Yeah, it's actually in the the events category on the website. But yep, take a look there. Uh, other things coming up. We added a couple things to the to the uh, events list in April that we wanted to call out now because it's something you get, you probably want to put on your calendar. April first and April eighth. There's two full-day events from 8.30 to 4 down in Colorado Springs. It's Security Plus Exam Prep. So this is free for members of ISSA, either Denver or Colorado Springs. Go down there for a full day, two times. They're going to get you ready to take uh, the Security Plus exam. Sounds good to me. Um, And then, of course, uh, as we've talked about a lot, coming up in May, the 9th through 11th, we have the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. And Rob, I know you have a pretty exciting announcement about that. Yeah, very cool. So this isn't even on the RMISC website yet, um, but we confirmed Governor Hickenlooper is going to actually kick off the conference. We have him 4 o'clock on Tuesday night uh, after the trainings are over, but before the general, as the general session starts. Uh, he's going to come give, give his remarks. Uh, I know he's he's been really focused on cybersecurity as a part of his platform, uh, and we're, he was excited to come join us. So pretty cool stuff. Do we know what he's going to be talking about, or is it uh, still up in the air and um, probably I, won't know until he shows up. I, I don't think I'm going to know until he shows up, but yeah. I've, I've given some some gentle things that maybe he could mention. We'll see if it happens. So anyway, that's that's pretty good news. Uh, the 16th, you know, another big conference coming up. 16th, Snowfrock. If you guys haven't yet got um, registered, recommend you do. This is the big OWASP annual conference here. Um, full day event at the Cable Center at DU. Um, I'm going to be doing key, a keynote there, and I'm, I'm almost done with that keynote. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll be good. We'll see. Um, but anyway, I hope you guys can make it to there as well. If you show up, then uh, then you will know. Yeah, absolutely. You'll know if it was good. Uh, job postings for the week. Um, the the job postings, really, we, we want to give a, a variety of things that we saw available. We're not going to spend a lot of time on them. Um, at the higher end, we, we saw at Deloitte, there's an office of the CISO lead. Uh, as I looked at this, it looked like really um, someone who's responsible for running the programs, really running the business of their security within Deloitte. Yeah, it sounded like a high-level person reporting to the CISO. Yep. Could be a really cool position. Uh, Ball Aerospace, they have an uh, Information Systems Security Officer 3. 
which of course is uh, better than an <laughs> better than an information system security officer two. Yeah, but not as good as a four, I, I assume. Of course. Yeah, probably. Excel is hiring a principal consultant, cyber threat intelligence. This sounds like a lot of fun. I didn't know Excel even had this kind of uh, this kind of positions here in Denver. So, um, kind of a neat thing to come up across the uh, the board. Uh, Avaya is hiring a senior network and security manager. So if you're looking to be uh, a manager in that space, that could be a good start there. And Vantif is hiring an identity access management senior architect. Yeah, and I actually talked to uh, to Mike Morado, who was a uh, someone I used to work with, who is the the hiring manager there. Um, he just started over at Vantif. Um, he thinks this is a pretty exciting opportunity. Um, you know, they have a couple things in place, but this is sort of really a greenfield opportunity for someone who knows uh, their stuff with IAM uh, to really go in and architect how they're going to do IAM at Vantif. And if you need any any help, if you get the job, <laughs> give me a call. I can help with your IAM solution. Uh, Salute is hiring a senior DevOps engineer. When I looked at this job description, it, it had a, a pretty significant security component to it. So they really... You know, it, it looked like they're doing like DevSecOps there um, cool. at Salute. Uh, Optive hiring an incident response consultant. So this is, sounds like something similar to the uh, the FireEye job we talked about a couple weeks back. You know, yeah. if you want to be someone that goes in and parachutes in for uh, for helping with an incident, then this is what you should be looking at. And Gartner is hiring a leadership partner. Yeah, so a, a Gartner person reached out to me about that one. It, to me, it sounds like a uh, you know a solution architect or something like that. You're going to be working with. Uh, Gartner customers to help them, you know, define their solutions and help them work towards. Uh, so, are you partnering with leadership? <laughs> is, that what, is that what you're doing? I think that you are. Strange yeah. how that works. Uh, and then, last one on the list, Ping Identity is hiring a solutions architect here in Denver. This is really the, the pre-sales uh, engineer, the, the the technical person on the sales team. Um, if you have an IAM background, this is a great solution for you, uh, opportunity for you. Get to get to partner with um, a couple of sales account executives and, and really um, get to know this, the, the customers you work with quite well. And that's all we have for the job postings. Again, if you have any questions about those or, or need links, go check out the show notes on the website, yep. colorado-security.com. Uh, yep, that's, and this is it for the newscast. Uh, next, we have an interview we, we recorded a couple weeks ago. I'm really excited about this one. This is really the, the first couple of cybersecurity. <laughs> if, if you guys haven't had a chance to In meet, Colorado. Uh, in Colorado, they're in the in, world. In we're talking about, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Steve Corey and Gail Corey. Steve is the uh, the CISO for the city and county of Denver, and Gail is uh, VP. She's really the CISO for Oracle's managed security services service. Um, so she's she's been running that, and she's been at Oracle for a, quite a while. Well, you'll hear, you'll learn about it here in the interview. Um, so with that, any, any final comments? No, good for me, Rob. Have All a right. great week, everybody. Have a good week. This is Drew Labo, CISO at Denver Health. Welcome to the Colorado Equals Security Podcast for Colorado security professionals by Colorado security professionals. Hello, this is Rob Reck with Colorado Equals Security. I am very fortunate today to have Gail and Steve Corey here at my house uh, to do an interview and, and get to know them a little bit. So as a starting point, I just ask you guys to introduce yourself and, and tell our listeners a little bit about what you do. Gail, go ahead. Okay, thanks, Rob. Uh, happy to be here. 
Um, so I work for Oracle. Um, I run security, compliance, uh, risk, business side risk for one of our cloud businesses glo globally. So it's a global role. Um, I have uh, people in my team that you know are associated all around the world, and our job is to make sure that we're managing the, the security of our customers' data that they've entrusted to us in our cloud. And you know, the exciting thing I think about the job I have and what I really like about it is um, I get to touch lots of different industries. Uh, I'm you know I have customers in everything from manufacturing, healthcare. Uh, uh, big web commerce, e-commerce uh, customers, um, uh, also government, we service government, different industries all around the world. And so I have an opportunity to really learn about, you know, what is critical information, what is sensitive information in these different industries and, and be able to, you know, take our security controls and make sure our security controls address that. And so it's, it's always challenging. I think I've probably seen uh, most every regulatory requirement uh, that there is. Um, I remember one time I was asked, you know, if we comply with the Dutch bookkeeping uh, laws. And I was like, well, let me think about that one. But um, yeah, so that comes up all the time and how we comply with certain regulatory requirements. And, you know, the big one we've got coming up is GDPR for all our U European customers. So everybody's, you know, concerned about that new uh, data privacy regulation and how we're going to be able to make sure that we can meet the requirements there by May of 2018. So we'll be working on that a lot this year. So that's a little bit about me. Yeah. So what I do. Danish bookkeeping yeah. regulations. <laughs> yes. That's not one that I thought much about. What was the uh, acronym? The GDPR. GDPR, what is that? Yeah, General Data Protection Regulation. It's the new regulatory requirement the EU passed last year. Uh, and we have two years to get in line with it. And it really is um, replacing a lot of the data privacy law in Europe. And when we had the invalidation of safe harbor for onward transfer of data from the European Union to the United States, um, that kind of shook up the whole data privacy um, space in, in Europe and how, was, how could companies who have data in the United States be protected from that. And it kind of was driven a lot by, you know, all of the, I would say, spying on uh, uh, personal kinds mm. of communications, et cetera, that sort of blew up about a year, year and a half ago. And uh, so anyway, that's our new regulatory requirements. So anyone who has data outside of the EU or even within the EU has to be able to comply. So any any company who, who has data, either of companies that are located in the EU or companies that have you know, offices in the EU are going yeah. to be asked to be compliant with this. Yep. Yeah. So. so Steve, would you introduce yourself as well? Sure. Hi, I'm Steve. Uh, Steve Corey. I'm the Chief Information Security Officer. For the city and county of Denver, uh, we are not GDPR uh, compliant, <laughs> uh, and I don't have any uh, short-term plans uh, to do that, but I'm sure it could easily meet all those needs. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things that's uh, interesting about uh, my job is that uh, the city is uh, a collection of agencies, um, and 
Each agency has a, a mission uh, to serve the citizens of Denver, or the residents of Denver. Uh, the, each agency has its own IT requirements, and um, they all, because they are chartered to be what they are, they are the most important thing. So I uh, provide security for over 50 different uh, agencies, and, uh, in, and they're all the, the number one in, in terms of importance, and so did you say fifty five zero? Probably agencies? yeah, probably over fifty. Oh, that's a lot of agencies. Yeah, and uh, those range from, you know, some of the the, the bigger ones are uh, public safety, uh, the police, and fire. Uh, we run nine one one for Denver. Uh, there's uh, you know agencies that are that plant the flowers in the park, uh, that organize the repair of streets. Um, the traffic lights, uh, you know, all these things. It's a, a lot of most of the things you take for granted in a city are, are you know, provided by the city. So mm -hmm. uh, the uh, trash pickup, uh, wastewater, uh, sewer management, and all this uh, really all kind of tie into being portions of, of critical infrastructure. And uh, so it's never a dull moment because there's always something going on somewhere. When uh, I've worked in... Uh, uh, for the city, I'm going on nine years now, and that's uh, my first foray into the public sector. Um, most of my career ahead of this is in uh, financial uh, institutions, mostly banks and uh, insurance and telecommunications. But um, So I've worked for a, a lot of time in the uh, private sector, but uh, it, it, particularly in banking, it was you had one customer uh, or you were doing one business, which was basically keeping track of money. And um, it, the city, it's, uh, it's, it's, every day it's something else, and it's, and it's not so much just keeping track of money. Yeah. So I, I want to dig some more into both of your guys' backstory. But first I want to know, you know, how did you become the first couple of security, which is what I, I've heard you called many times, or the royal couple of security, yeah. depending on, <laughs> on who says it. Or how, talk to me about your guys' you know, personal history. Yeah, well, you know, I, uh, I started off my career years ago as a, application developer and um, and eventually uh, worked my way into IT audit. Um, so I needed uh, a little bit more of a nine to five job so I wanted to use my technical skills. So I started auditing systems looking for you know weak controls and back in in the day right that was primarily mainframe systems and things like that and eventually um, I ended up uh, actually Steve hired me um, so <laughs> that was a long time ago um, he was running audit at Great West Life at the time huh. and I went in as a as an IT auditor on on his team so um, that's kind of how we met <laughs> yeah <laughs> we worked together yeah, from what, though? You went into um, security. Well, yeah. you know, eventually I ended up at Galileo, and I was um, in IT audit at Galileo. And this was in the late 90s, and um, they were, you know, historically you know, big computer reservation systems companies, yeah. so big mainframes and a lot of, you know, point-to-point -point kinds of uh, connections coming in from all the hotels, the cars, the airlines, right? Mm -hmm. And all SNA traffic and everything coming uh, into their system. So um, anyway, I was an IT auditor there for a few years and I had 
uh, uncovered a few things around security that they needed to shore up. Um, about this time, you know, the internet was becoming uh, a much more of a business tool, and uh, Galileo was putting a presence on the web, and the person who was running security at that time didn't have a lot of experience with TCP IP and, you know, firewalls, why do we need those, and all that kind of thing was, it was all new, sure. right? And so he decided to retire. Oh. And so he's like, you know, two new stuff, I'm done, I'm out of here. So um, I was asked to step in and take over the security function at Galileo, and then I was asked to fix all the issues I had uncovered when I was there doing the audit work. So that's how I made the move from from audit to security. Um, I stayed there a couple of years, and then I moved on to J.D. Edwards. J.D. Edwards was uh, had just become a, comp- a public company. They had uh, just filed their uh, IPO and everything about six months prior. Um, and so they did not really have a concept of security. It was a family-owned company, and, and J.D. Edwards, you know, uh, you shouldn't say they didn't have a concept, but everyone was, all of the employees were, you know, a big family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you have a, pu- when you're a public company and you have shareholders, you need to start thinking about how do you, you know, segregate uh, data and access to data. Not yeah. everybody. Before or after Sarbanes-Oxley? Uh, before. Okay. So you didn't have the stick. No, no, we didn't. But there was definitely uh, a need. The company was growing into a global presence. And there was definitely a need to to bring in information security as a function. And so um, I came in. There was one other person that was there for security. And together we sort of established the program. Mm -hmm. Eventually I was uh, named the CISO uh, at JDE. That was in 2000, I think. I worked for the CIO there and then, you know, just went through the acquisition in 2003 by PeopleSoft and then the acquisition by Oracle 18 months later. And that was 12 years ago. I'm still at Oracle. So that's how I made my way to Oracle, but that's how I I made the jump at Galileo from audit to security. And I've been a security leader now for Almost 20 years, which, yeah, yeah time has gone by. I've seen a lot in those 20 years and a lot of change. So Now, do I, do I remember that you guys have been married about 20 years? Yeah, we're coming about up on 20. 20 this, this year, 2017? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. So that means, you know, uh, 1997? That my, would my be correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Your okay. math is correct. So you, <laughs> you were at Galileo at the time? Um, or, when we got married, I was at Galileo, yeah. yes. I, yeah. I left Galileo... In '98. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, do I yep. remember correctly that Debbie Blythe went through Galileo? I guess I'm thinking she after did. Their time. She, she did. did. She was. And a... then, yep, we knew each other there. Was she there when you were there too? You guys crossed paths. Um, I think we did. Yes. Okay. And then, if I recall, she remembers that working there with me. Yeah. So yeah. I so yeah, so Debbie Blythe, the CISO of the state of Colorado, who as uh, someone else who we, we run into pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, so Steve, talk, talk to us about your your backstory. Yeah, so this, I'm going to go back to the uh, uh, Great West Life uh, days, and um, I, I, I was just running IT audit, so IT audit was, was relatively new, and I was had a position to fill, um, and Gail was uh, making a leap from uh, her prior career, which was, um, I think you were doing programming at a church or running a school and church software. 
so she was trying to get back into the more uh, bigger business. I think you were volunteering or working for to pay for your kids' tuition. Uh, you got free tuition, tuition remission. Um, anyway, the uh, yeah. So at that time, uh, viruses, computer viruses, were just becoming um, an issue in uh, in security and in, in technology in general. And uh, I was always, uh, you know, a, I guess a forward thinker. And so I thought, well, I need to learn about this. And so uh, Gail was already on board. And I said, you know, do you want to go with me uh, to get some books on viruses? And so we went down to the, uh, she, she agreed to go. And so I think for lunch, we went down to the uh, Tattered Cover bookstore when it was uh, downtown, mm-hmm. down in Cherry Creek in those days. Uh, and then uh, we must have bought, I don't know, a lot of books, and <laughs> all, all the books. All, all the books. Here's one, and I, it was amazing how much uh, how much information was available. Uh, not very many people in technology were even talking about it, and uh, so we went got the books. and um, And Gail's a really good reader. Um, I'm not so much a reader, so she started to read about this, and uh, and then we had a uh, the Dark Avenger virus. Uh, breakout at Great West Life, and Gail had read the books, and so she was then the virus queen because she knew she we knew what to do, and it was like we came from audit and uh, and the security people at the time were were all mainframe security people, so they were you know focused on uh, ACF two and uh, mainframe F. yeah well we had a, we were an ACF two shop but it was but like rack F in that category. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so they didn't understand anything about the PCs and the PCs were just kind of coming into, to being, and, you know, and I came, I moved here from New York and, uh, I, uh, and in New York, we used other tools, but in, in Colorado, everybody used word perfect. I thought it was some kind of state law that you had to use word perfect. And that's how far back this goes. And this is word perfect in the, before the GUI interface, uh, which they did horribly. But the, um, so anyway, the, the computers were just starting to proliferate to the desktop. And in my department at the time, uh, people had to sign up to use the computers. And there was like four computers on a table and you had to reg- reserve your time. And, uh, and I was insisting to my management that all the IT auditors needed their own computer. And so I was cutting this, this, this thing and, you know, the, all, and then there was this envy because, you know, the IT auditors are so special. <laughs> they have their own computers. And, um, and then uh, so, so they were starting to proliferate throughout the workplace. And so uh, we had a desktop technician, a very helpful guy. And uh, anybody, if you had a problem with your computer, you called this guy. And one of the things that he carried with him was a floppy diskette uh, that had his uh, tools, his, his tools on it. And so people would have a problem. And uh, anyway, this turns into the fact that the virus spread the way it did because Sneaking the guy that walked around and Sneaking inserted his desk, <laughs> inserted his diskette in all these uh, computers. And so it was like we, you know, named him Typhoid Mary, I think, because <laughs> he was actually spreading, spreading the virus. And uh, we were the first ones to have antivirus software. And uh, I remember we were at an ISACA conference up in uh, the mountains, Keystone, I believe. And, uh, uh, and one guy stayed, stayed back at the office and um, he called me and he said he was having trouble with this, this 3270 emulator program that wasn't working properly. In the end, I found out it didn't work right because he had the virus. But um, So I said, well, why don't you scan it 
And so we had this scanning software, um, and then what, what we found out was in the process of scanning that we could spread the virus faster because every file that was scanned was then infected oh. once the system had the virus on it. Anyway, so we ended up being um, doing a presentation at ISACA about this event, uh, and, and it was really kind of interesting because a lot of the people were like, well, what are you recommending, Steve? What's your, your recommendation? And my recommendation at that time was you must run antivirus continuously scanning in a continuously scanning mode. Yeah. And most companies were not willing to do that. They said, well, we'll scan once a week or we'll scan uh, you know, once a month. Yeah. I got hate, hate mail from uh, people that uh, had seen that presentation and saying, this, is, uh, this concept of viruses is all made up. In the you know, and that this guy was an author of a book on writing word macros. You know, he had his book, and um, and so, uh, but it was funny because he just told me, you know, you're just making this stuff up, and I would never tell anybody to run antivirus software, and uh, so I think we were we were pioneers of the day. Actually, yeah, they used to, you know, Ghostbusters was the first Ghostbusters movie was out, and uh, somebody drew a caricature of Gail and I with the backpacks on. Uh, with the you know shooting our, our the thing out to kill the virus. the viruses, yeah. Yeah. getting the ghosts yeah. out of the PCs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you still have that picture? I, <laughs> can I can I get that as a as a part of the post? Oh my for this here. Could I find sure. it? I, right, that's a challenge. Well, that's, that's a, a challenge, challenge for you. Yeah. See if you can find this I picture. vividly remember it though. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So we, I think we've seen a lot of change. You know, um, mm-hmm. you know when I remember uh, early in the early two thousands. You know, back at that time, the whole idea of uh, having a virus or a worm, uh, you know, released um, out on your network um, was the big the big thing of the day where people either wanted notoriety, they wanted to get it in the news, they wanted to be able to take networks down. And so, you know, I remember I was, there was a, um, we had a Microsoft Exchange mail server um, and this was at J.D. Edwards when I was working there. And I kept saying, we're going to get, you know, an email-born virus. And all the tech people were kept saying, well, you know, we can't run antivirus on, on Microsoft Exchange. It's not certified to run with it. Microsoft won't support, blah, 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 blah. And they kept fighting me about this. And then about 3 in the morning, my um, I had a two-way pager at the time. It went off. And it was um, my people in Singapore calling me because they had the I love you virus. I don't know if you remember, but that was, it was taking down our entire mail system. And, uh, and so, you know, it took us several days really to clean that up. And, um, and and, 1999. So that would have been in the early, Mm. maybe 2000. Mm. It was maybe 99. I remember coming into work and and at the time I was, I was a uh, help desk person at an at a electronic arts, if you guys know, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. video game company. Uh, I remember coming in one day and this, you couldn't use your computers. Everyone's computer was disabled. They just wouldn't let anyone log in because they hadn't figured out how to deal with it yet. And right. you know, on the West Coast, so had a couple hours of, of, of foresight on it and just, nope, we're not going to use computers today. Yeah. So, <laughs> All right. Yeah. What are you going to do, right? And so, and so anyway, that sort of demonstrated, and I remember at the time that, you know, we got all the way through that. I was at the office probably for 36, 40 hours straight, uh, just trying to deal with 
all of the issues and the ramifications. And uh, the CIO at the time said, next time you guys listen to her. <laughs> so that was, you know, that was interesting. I, I, you know, then we had all these, you know, like Code Red and we had SQL Slammer. I remember uh, one time I was at, when I was working with, for PeopleSoft at the time, I was in California and we were in this big conference room and all of a sudden we were having a huge problem of, um, traffic on the network and um, they we had a big uh, you know, screen and so we popped up you know what some of the traffic monitoring was looking at and I remember standing there and I was seeing the traffic pattern and I said that's SQL Slammer and they said it can't be we're we aren't you know we've dealt with that we're good and I'm like I'm telling you I'm I believe that's what it is and as it turned out we had gotten another infection of wow. SQL Slammer but so part of that is just the experience of going through uh, and being able to deal with those kinds of incidents. Well, now, you know, that's not so much, you know, the, the um, big risk anymore. Um, I think what we're, we're seeing now is it's not about being a noisy uh, and, you know, um, there's still distributed denial of service and all that kinds of thing that can happen. But more the threat that we're seeing um, is around, you know, the stealth kind of threat and being on your network and not being picked up because what you're, what the whole idea is to look for data uh, and uh, get that data, data exfiltration, exfiltration, espionage. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Of course, ransomware has become pretty popular. I would guess you guys are probably not as big a target of ransomware, but I might think that the city of Denver might be. Oh, we have been. Yeah, that, that seems like something that, you know, you know, we've seen hospitals, we've seen government, we've seen police stations uh, attacked by that. Yeah. So, so, you know, you guys both have, for different reasons, are fairly big targets. You know, Gail, hosting lots and lots of customers in a, in a cloud environment, um, pretty big target. And, and Steve, I know I, I've heard you talk about, you know, how you were targeted a while back by the, the group Anonymous. Mm-hmm. And, um, yes. And probably, you know, you, you're representing a, a government in a high-profile large city in America. You know, any stories you can talk to about, about what that's been like? Well, Anonymous uh, and I have got a lot of time together. Uh, we've been uh, targeted multiple times. Uh, the One of the most uh, <clears throat> interesting ones was, uh, this would have been, gosh, when did the movie about Korea, what was that called, the, the, int- um, the interview? Was that? Oh, yeah, the interview. That was... Uh, like Christmas time, yeah, yeah, two years ago, I think. Yeah, the interview with, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So the the interview movie had come out around Christmas time, and then uh, uh, <clears throat> I think this was around the the, the Sony hack. The Sony hack, yeah, it was around that. Yeah, right after that, right. And that was kind of like the Sony hack was viewed as like retaliation. I remember it was a a Sunday uh, that uh, I was uh, asking Gail, Where, "Where's our son?" And uh, she said, "He's he's 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 watching a movie." I said, well, what movie is he watching? And, and, and then I, she said, the interview. I said, oh, my God. And I said, get him off. They will, they will find us. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so that weekend, we were doing a, a major network upgrade. And, uh, and then Monday morning, about 1030 in the morning, uh, I remember the deputy CIO came in and said, what's wrong with the Internet? And she's, you know, holding her phone in her hand and looking down at it, and, like, she's got no service or whatever. And we're saying, well, what do you mean? What's wrong with the Internet? And then we found out that we really had no uh, access uh, to the Internet. Uh, we were, had actually lost uh, the, the trap. We were under denial of service attack. And uh, 
We didn't know it at the time. Uh, so what we, what we thought was something went wrong with the, with the network change, and we were trying to get ready to back out all the work that we did and, and how complicated it was. Uh, and in the middle of all that, where we're trying to figure out what's going on, um, uh, one of my team uh, sends me an email, and, and, and it's a news story about uh, a person that uh, was uh, shot by the police. And I thought, well, why, you know, why isn't he helping solve this problem, and why is he sending me an email about a police incident? Yeah. And uh, so what had happened is as that news uh, of the shooting had spread, that then Anonymous uh, led a very large effort against us. And, um, and this was, and they basically burned us down. We were at the point where we couldn't uh, access our, our equipment, uh, so we you know, disconnected from the Internet. Um, and so that was the only way we could regain control of our, of our stuff. And the, uh, however, during the process of once we figured out that there was a connection, that we were under a denial of service attack, my team was um, watching uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook, and we found uh, various personality, personalities that were bragging about taking Denver down. And uh, that data we captured uh, real time uh, and later in working with the FBI, uh, over a period of time, we were actually, uh, the data that we collected helped them get the connections between the cyber attackers and uh, the uh, main person, I think at the time, he was maybe 14 years old, mm. uh, but he um, was uh, eventually arrested by uh, Interpol in uh, the UK in his parents' basement. And uh, the FBI said that they had attacked uh, so many, many, many governments, uh, and of which we were, you know, just a, a minor, right. minor victim. But that our data that we collected at the time was instrumental in helping them determine who it was, who the personality was, and then uh, led to the arrest. And, um, and it's fortunate that it happened in the UK because uh, in the US the FBI would not arrest a minor or, or would not charge a minor for this kind of crime. Uh, so they would have just uh, had to just let it go. But um, but anyway, they, they com uh, commended us. I asked them, you know, would you come in and tell my management? <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, so the FBI and CBI, the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, uh, sent people, uh, and they did a uh, presentation and basically thanked us for helping us, uh, helping them and the world over uh, capture uh, some major cyber criminals. So these guys were, were uh, you know, I think hacking for fun. Yeah. I mean, they were just saying, can we, can we cause, can we knock them down? And as Gail said earlier, you know, they were just uh, going after a tally. Um, and the cyber criminals that we're facing today, now I saw it two years, right? And so it's like, it's, it has become so much more vicious. Yeah. And it's, uh, uh, but we still have a, a good relationship with Anonymous or, or any the city social policy uh, that isn't popular or whatever the Anonymous may take uh, uh, you know, identify with that and use that to to attack us. And uh, hmm. we're uh, um, they they've stayed away lately. But you know, I guess we got a knock on wood. Can I do that? Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, people say that that will lead to uh, you know, if you say they're they're going away, they'll come back. But and it's and it's one of these things. You know, it's not like um, like you can get a a childhood disease and you become immune to it, you know? So it's kind of like, well, I already had chicken pox. Yeah, I already had an honest once. So I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get ransomware again. <laughs> I'm not going to get another denial of service again. You know? So it's kind of like, it's always there. It's just, uh, yeah. So yeah. denial of services come back, uh, frequently, but we, we're pretty good at handling it these days. Gil, you have any mm -hmm. stories about attacks against your service or, you know, 
people out to get you that you can you can share? That was a little bit different in a in a you know, private private um, sector. You know, um, I probably yeah nothing that I want to go into you know a whole lot of detail about, but um, you know we do see you know we are targeted. Uh, distributed denial of service from time to time. You know, we've we we've gotten very good at being able to offload our traffic and get it cleaned up and yeah. and come back. Um, you know, it, when you have a, a huge amount of customers, a, a large number of customers you're servicing, that results in a huge amount of network traffic going through your uh, network. Um, you you know the layers of control have to be pretty strong, um, and I I feel like we we do a very good job there. Um, there's always little things that come up here and there. I think one of the things I would say today that we see a a bit more of is you know credential capture and reuse, and I think that companies have to really think. Uh, a lot today about whether they should use only a user ID and password for anything critical over the web. It, you know, you there is just too much opportunity uh, for that those credentials to be captured and replayed, and we have seen that happen. So strong authentication on the front side of, of anything. Uh, sensitive needs to be in place there. So I think we're seeing that whole thing move. I've seen it shift in the last 18 months, probably two years to 18 months really become critical. And oftentimes companies are a little bit hesitant to, you know, adopt a new technology, right? We've seen a lot of technology change. We, we talked about how, you know, there was a time when people you know, didn't believe viruses existed or didn't believe that you should be running antivirus software. Now you wouldn't think you know, of having a system that did not have antivirus software on it and personal firewall. And then we, you know, we've added intrusion detection and intrusion prevention, and we've added SIM technologies and web application firewalls. As companies use technology to deliver their, their services, their products and their services to market more than in, in more in different ways, then that changes your whole threat landscape and you've got to continue to adjust your control. So um, I would just say those are some of the things we're seeing. Yeah, the, the example getting multi-factor implemented, I think, is, is just a, a no-brainer for just about everything. You know, as a baseline, multi-factor, even if it's not the strongest multi-factor, just getting rid of credential replay, you know, someone gets the the breach from Yahoo or whatever recent data breach there is, they're going to use those credentials and try and get in everywhere. And it's, it's great if you, if you make it harder for them, right? Just adding a little bit of more difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when you get to targeted attacks, just any old multi-factor may not be good enough. But um, just as, as a starting point, I think that's, that's yeah. really good advice. Um, so, Gail, would you mind kind of sh- sharing anything you're especially proud of, either from your time at Oracle or somewhere earlier in your career, any, any successes you've had that um, you'd like to share with the group? Yeah, I think... Um one of the things I've um, experienced throughout my career, sort of my perspective on security is that, you know, security needs to be an enabler. And if you can enable your business to move forward in different ways, then you're seen more as a as a partner and you're not seen as this gatekeeper that's always 
perhaps making it difficult uh, to move to new technologies. So one of the things, you know, uh, just as an example here, um, and this was probably back in about 2006 or 2007, we had an opportunity in our managed services space to, you know, host U.S. government um, with Oracle. And um, the opportunity came in and, you know, everybody said, can we do this? Can we do this? And I said, well, let me look at, see what type of security controls, you know, we need to really put in place to support this business. So we, you know, did some investigation. I had a person on my team that was, that came from um, military, with a military background. And so, you know, we looked at all the requirements and needs. At the end of the day, it had been tried, I was told it had been tried two or three times previously, and it was not going to be accepted to, to go forward. The risk of hosting and managing this type of data was too great. Um, but we came forward with, here's the proposal, we're going to isolate physically and logically, you know, our, our government service, our federal service. We're going to have U.S. people. We're going to get them through security clearance. We have all these controls. We meet all these regulatory requirements. And we ended up getting a, a sign-off to go ahead and proceed, and that business operates today for us, and it's it's been very successful. So I think, you know, you can, in this particular case where we had a lot of the technology people saying, being the naysayer and hmm. saying can't be done, security really just did a little bit of due diligence to come back and say, well, we can do it, and here's, and how, here's we how we can do it. And if you're willing to put that investment in place and make sure that it's being run and managed properly, your risk is is you know, substantially reduced. And, and so that's how we did it. And I think, you know, we have to always be creative about, yeah. you know, how can we, you know, help the business? How can we be seen as value add to the business? And I think when you do that, then the next time you come forward with some other kind of effort that you want to do, you have some champions and some support in your business for that. So it sounds like you know the big success there is enabling Oracle to open up a, a sounds like profitable side of the business that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. That's that's pretty pretty great. Yeah, yeah, and you know we've we've done a we've gone to a point now with in the cloud side, you know that we're almost uh, from us um, we add services for our customers like PCI services or HIPAA services, and you know we've become self um, supporting. So my organization is really not a cost center. Yeah. Um, and, and that's another way that you can add value. You, so you always you have to think about it in different terms and different perspectives, right? But how, how can you use your, your security uh, capabilities to move your company or move your entity, a public, a public sector, into being able to distribute maybe some of your services in a more economically feasible way? Right. In which you know overall it's lower cost. There's there's a layer of there and sec- of security that you put in to make sure you're doing it the right way. So, hmm. Steve, any uh, I'd love to hear from your perspective. Any successes you know on your any yeah time it's like, city that you want to share with us? You know, it's a, every year I think we have something fantastic to talk about. But um, <clears throat> I'm going to go and roll back here to the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference, uh, 2000. 16, early 2016, one of the 
keynote, our lunch keynote speakers, I believe, was talking about the importance of information sharing. <clears throat> and the... Gene, um, Gene Spafford? Yeah. Gene, Gene yeah. Spafford was ta- did the yeah. lunch keynote. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference, the biggest security conference in Colorado, coming up May 9th, 10th, and 11th at the Colorado Convention Center. Yes, that's, that's exactly the, exactly the yeah. conference I'm speaking of. <laughs> and uh, one of the, the points that he, that he made was that... Um, the hackers' um, exchange information, exchange tricks, uh, have no reservations about holding back on here's how to break something. And they um, constantly share that information. However, on the other side of the coin, the you know, let's, let's say if you're a bank, uh, you don't want to talk too much about being hacked. And so mm-hmm. that information tends to stay within the bank and uh, doesn't, uh, you know, there is an FSI SAC um, that for financial services that does help promote exchange of information, but a lot of times that data is, you know, more about, uh, you know, these are the patches that you got to apply and what the latest vulnerability is in a particular commercial software, but not so much about what, um, you know, what somebody would actually do to you. Um, and I think that uh, I was kind of inspired by that, and I took a, an initiative for uh, this year, and actually the inspiration was our last anonymous attack. Uh, one our, when we were having that happen, our director of marketing uh, was with us. Um, we're working on this in the event that we had to make a public statement. Um, and then she kind of said, well, it seems like we get these attacks when there's something good going on in the city or something significant. And maybe, you know, Anonymous is trying to show up and, and dampen that, that mm-hmm. experience. And so she had asked, well, what, what would be the, you know, the Anonymous forecast? Uh, when could we expect to have something else have bad happen? And I thought, oh, my gosh, it would be the elections. And so um, then I, uh, this was in April of 2016. So I started a project and I had this crazy idea that we would work with other governments to plan and protect ourselves for the upcoming election. And, um, and this has never been done before in Colorado where a municipality or a county, a county of Denver, um, reached out the technology people from the city, working with the technology people of the state, to collaborate on uh, what what possible things could happen to us and what could we do about it and could we communicate uh, during an event and an incident uh, back in the election of uh, 2014 the um, the not the the presidential election the off election um, we had you know a lot of difficulties and one of the things that was was really weird was like you know we were having a problem and if it was after hours we called the state. And the state people had gone home for the day, and so you'd get their voicemail, and you didn't know how to get a hold of them. Uh, and uh, so we examined every layer of something that could go wrong, even from finding out who to call, uh, do we, you know, what their phone numbers are, what types of services do we have for protections, uh, can we alter our, um, our traffic patterns if we, if we do become under attack, uh, what if uh, we're physically attacked, um, and the... Uh, any aspect about that. And so, uh, you know, we had a, we, so I have proposed for the 2017 Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. We submitted a paper where we're going to tell the story. Uh, we've um, just recently uh, did a presentation in Colorado Springs on it. Uh, we're going to, ISSA in Colorado Springs has invited us to uh, speak at their uh, Cyber Day, uh, March, March, right? March 30th. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll be uh, telling that story there. And hopefully at the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. So, we're presenting um, it's a, uh, myself as the CISO for the City and County of Denver, uh, Rich Slipe, who's the CISO for the Secretary of State's office, and uh, one of my team, James Stoner, who was uh, our information security manager, who really 
uh, is a brilliant man and uh, did a lot of the magic uh, for us. Uh, so we were, uh, you know, just kind of in contrast, we were able to watch network traffic real time. We could see uh, our traffic from um, the Secretary of State from the external view, and we could see their internal view, um, which never before had happened. And when I first brought up this idea, of, you know, I'd like to watch your network traffic, you know, Rich, and in, in at that time, he says, well, I'll send you our report. We, we do one weekly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the kind of help us on Election Day. So we, yeah. we now, and, and during Election Day, had real-time real -time visibility. So we, we could tell the state of any of our network devices from, the, from a switch to a router to uh, physical locations in, in the, all within the city, and the state had that as well within the, within for the whole state. So it's really a pretty good story of collaboration. So um, I'm excited about it. I think that there's uh, opportunities for um, governments to uh, improve their uh, stability and reliability and resiliency of their systems by working together. So well, I hope, look forward to hearing yeah. more about it in a, in a few months. That sounds <laughs> great. Um, so. I, I'm asked the question, you know, that those are great success stories. I'd love to hear if you guys can share a story of something you've done that didn't work out. Um, something, you know, I, I think all too often we talk about all the good stuff and we don't share so much what didn't work so people can learn from that as well. Do you guys have any stories from your current jobs or previous jobs of something you tried that, you know, maybe didn't go well and, and what we learned from that and, and how you've used that to get better? Well, I think I usually purge those from my memory. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Gosh, I don't, I don't know. I have to think. Well, I can think of where you had a challenge, but it ended up going well, but it was rolling out uh, desktop encryption. Or that was a, that was, you were a pioneer, and the user experience, if I recall, was, was not so good. Yeah, yeah, initially, I mean, I think we had some real challenges. I know, you know, we felt like... Um, laptop and desktop encryption needed to be deployed. Mm -hmm. And it was really a, a, a very uh, challenging deployment for a lot of reasons because, you know, you wanted, you didn't want to have huge performance impact on people and we did experience some of that. You didn't want to have anybody lose their data off there and have their data be unrecoverable. Mm -hmm. And we did have a couple of experiences of that. And so, you know, you that does um, it, it, it makes a project not go well and then makes everybody want to run away right. from it completely, right? But we were able to, you know, technically solve those problems, provide those assurances, and eventually get it rolled out. And now desktop encryption, that was back when we did that encryption project. I think it was... Long, quite a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, it was before, pretty new technology. Oracle yeah. iOS, it was J.D. Edwards when yeah. I was still at J.D. Edwards, so it had been before 2003. So that was a long time ago. The technology's got... It's much better. Yeah, so, <laughs> technologies work a lot better. Yeah. Back, back then it was not so seamless, and yeah. you probably yeah. had a lot of key problems where you would actually might lose data. I think there's this balance, right, between... You know, we always want to be the security people who enable the business to be successful. We don't want to go put barriers right. in, in the place. But at some point, there's this risk balance. If we don't do desktop encryption, um, you know, there's all these all of these many lost and stolen laptops across an enterprise turn into data breach issue. problems. They if do. we do do the encryption when the technology is not ready, um, we're going to cause you know user impact, and there's it becomes a risk mm -hmm. management decision in these tough conversations. 
um, they're not as easy as we'd like them to be sometimes. So I know that makes perfect yeah. sense. Yeah. So, I had forgotten about that. But oh, yeah. So and I do have a story. This is from, uh, um, I guess, 2015. Uh, the uh, fire department put in a request for a, um, a garage door opener that they wanted to connect to the Internet. And um, so this is an IOT story. And the, the, the position, you know, and the request came up to me. Uh, are we going to allow them to connect the garage door opener to the internet? And I was like, you know, I'm all about security. This makes no sense to me. No. And so the only time he said no. Uh, and the, 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 the repercussions of that was from, you know, the fire department coming back to say, well, how are you technology people helping us? Um, and what had happened was that I wasn't, I wasn't ready uh, to understand what this problem was. And, um, and, you know, just because I didn't know what, why would you connect the garage door opener to the Internet didn't make sense to me. I gave it no thought. And that really was a big, big lesson for me because uh, after the, uh, uh, the fire was on <laughs> internally, then I went and visited the fire department and said, what is it you're trying to do? And uh, which is what we should have said before. But, you know, my team said, you know, this is a, uh, you know, it's a home type of device, uh, there's no place in the business, and they all poo-pooed it, and it was basically, we were now found ourselves repeating the story of security over and over again. It's like you you look at the future based on what you know in the past. Mm -hmm. And so um, it made some really poor uh, decisions there. And so politically, it was very damaging. However, I, I owned up for it. And the, and the interesting part of the story was that the uh, it's not just a garage door opener. This is <laughs> These open the bay the bays that the fire trucks come out of and the, the uh, equipment that they had to open the doors were, were very old and needed to be replaced. But one of the problems that the fire department would have is that they couldn't tell um, sometimes how, if the door has risen high enough for the truck to clear. And so they'd have occasionally where they'd go out to, you know, to be dispatched, you know, a very horrible event or something, and they would take off too fast and break the garage door mm. in the process and damage the truck. And so uh, because the, the engineer that's driving the uh, truck cannot see above uh, above the truck because, because the truck is so huge. And uh, anyway, so part, they wanted to introduce some technology there where they could just have a light on that said, you know, the door is up high enough, you can leave now. And uh, that was one of the little things they wanted to do. And, uh, and then what happens is that sometimes, because with the old garage door opener, they were the single button pusher, and if like you pushed it, accidentally pushed it twice, it would do two cycles. And so... Close back, start closing again, basically? Yeah, yeah, it could start closing. Or um, if they saw that and they hit the button, then they would leave the firehouse and the garage door would be open. Hmm. And so then that's an invitation right. to hoodlums and things and vandals uh, to come into the fire station. And so if the truck was being dispatched... Uh, they would have to call the 911 and ask for the police department to go shut the garage door <laughs> at the fire station. So there were all kinds of problems here that could be easily solved with a garage door opener that had a video camera that the 911 dispatch center could use. Anybody could go and say if that door was still open, they could close it. And, would, you know, and it wouldn't rely on the button that was inside the truck. And, uh, and so it was like, oh, my God, they are way ahead of us. They've got this IoT kind of device, and uh, and we just slammed the door in their face. Mm. And this has been now it's a, we're 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 golden because <laughs> I turned that thing around and we helped you know facilitate it. And they actually had asked to connect that device 
to a Wi-Fi network that is uh, highly regulated uh, from a CJIS or Criminal Justice Information Services perspective, uh, of which, you know, we're under regulation through the FBI. And I asked, why did you want to connect it there? And they said, well, because that's the Wi-Fi we have. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll get you a Wi-Fi yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that you can put your IoT on. So yeah. uh, anyway, with that, that, that was a story. And I think that's really a big lesson. It's because um, I think uh, IoT especially, is, is, it's coming. And it's coming in such huge waves that we need to really be prepared for that and thinking forward. And how are we going to control it, especially, you know, with the Mariah, um, you know, uh, denial of service uh, attacks and things like that, that these devices can be misapplied to, that it's important that we uh, be on top of it. Um, I watched the proposal uh, go before the city where they're looking at, uh, in order to save money on energy, that they're going to put in, uh, you know, various monitors inside the building so they can, you know, shut down the heating when necessary or turn off lights and, and be able to have all those under central control. And so all those proposals are going forward and there's no mention of technology behind it, you know, so I know that within a year when these projects are implemented, they're going to want to put those on Wi-Fi yeah. and, uh, you know, and that all these devices now are going to be vulnerable. So, uh, yeah, we had, uh, I think we need to all kind of look at what, you know, how do you, how do you stay abreast of this is really kind of the question. And I just think, you know, you got to go out to your customers and ask them, you know, what are you looking at? And what, you know, pro- what is the, the problem you're trying to solve? Um, and, and not, we're not, we shouldn't be, um, security organizations that say no, we should be a security organization that says, let me help you do that the yeah. right way and and reduce the level of risk as much as as much as you can. We're never going to be risk free uh, unless you disconnect completely from no. everything. You're, there's always <clears throat> risk associated. But what you want to be able to do is get that risk to a level that's reasonable and acceptable and uh, and and support the business. So I think that's what how security has changed in the 20 years. I've been leading security teams and I, you know, it just come full circle back around that. I mean, we really it's it, we have to be smart, we have to be knowledgeable, we have to ask the questions and we need to bring the right solutions and that's that's what makes the job fun, but it's also, you know, a challenge for every organization. So I, we, we're doing a good job here. For, we're I think almost uh, 50 minutes in now. Um, I don't want to close up quite yet, though. Um, I want to ask you guys a couple questions about the security community here in Colorado. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, as you Steve called it, what you, you know, Cyber City USA. Yeah. Here, here, right in the middle of Colorado. Um, and I, I just want to hear from you guys. I, I'll say over the last few years that I've got to know both of you, I really appreciate your, you know, your engagement in the community and your willingness. You know, Steve, I've heard you talk several times. You know, Gail, I know you're involved with several different organizations helping with leadership. Um, you know, talk to me about your guys' experience here and what's keeping you engaged after, you know, 20 years leading. What keeps you, you know, getting outside of your comfort zone, outside of your job and still, still out there helping, uh, helping other folks out? I'll start with Gail, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. So, you know, I get involved um, in a lot of different areas uh, pr- professionally within Colorado. First of all, I love Colorado. I've lived here the majority of my life and and don't plan to live anywhere else. So, um, And I feel like we have a small community um, and a, a lo- we know each other, right? People cross paths, people that you've worked with in the past, you know, you'll run into again, um, just like... Debbie and, and I have run into each other and others. So I uh, 
I'm involved with the um, Colorado Technology Association Women's Initiative. So um, I represent Oracle there. Um, and it's a subcommittee off the CTA board. And we put on or sponsor every year um, the, the Women's Summit that occurs in June. This year it'll be, I believe it's June 9th, and it'll be in Larkspur. But we generally get somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 to 600 women that have some sort of role in technology uh, that come and we do a day-long event uh, specifically uh, to, you know, have some seminars and some speaking uh, uh, speakers that talk about, you know, some of the challenges sometimes there could be for women in technology or some of the great kinds of careers you could have and how you know, give people food for thought. So I'm involved there. I'm involved um, also with ISACA. So ISACA has a women's initiative program connecting and inspiring women. And um, and as a matter of fact, there's a, an article actually that cool. I'll be in on in the new release of the ISACA journal. Uh, so you'll sort of see uh, a little bit about me and my background there. So I've been involved at that for probably a year and a half or two years trying to help our, our membership in the ISACA organization. Um, I've been a past president of ISACA. So uh, in ISSA, I'm involved with as well. And, and uh, um, you know, just from my perspective, it's a way I can give back uh, get back to the community, get back to people who are, you know, help give, you know, extend a, a helping hand or a lift up for people who are coming up in the business. We don't have enough really, you know, good, skilled, talented security people. We don't have as many as, the, you know, we need today in the industry. So anything I can do to inspire or bring someone forward or get them excited about security is something I really enjoy. I think I remember both of you guys signed up as mentors in the ISSA mentorship I, program. I, I know I Gail did. did. I did. So I'll, twi- I'll twist your arm a little oh, yeah. bit then. Uh, you know, opportunity of one-on-one mentoring there. Steve, I, I know I've seen you around quite a bit. What, what keeps you from you – know, you have a full-time job. I know you, you can spend as many hours as you want to doing your job. You know, but what keeps you engaged in the community at, at large? Well, I think that's maybe something Gail and I share is that there's uh, – like a giving back uh, aspect, um, I feel it's really important that um, that professionally you can help other people. Um, I enjoy it too. I mean, I got to be very honest about that. I just I love to uh, love to speak. Um, I am a frustrated comedian, so if I can <laughs> ever add something humorous to a story, I, I like to do that. Um, so um, that, that community involvement is really important. I think uh, as I work with uh, a lot of my ex. I don't know, it's probably closely related to my job, but I work with the Homeland Security, um, and um, uh, the acronyms are too long. I can never remember all the letters to say, but uh, we're uh, working to, um, at least in the, kind of like from a local area, more working, you know, from smaller circles to larger circles of exchange of information, um, of incidents. Um, The, um, we've started a, uh, collaboration with a few counties in the in the state of Colorado uh, and some uh, municipalities, and um, trying to find out can we uh, alert each other of cyber risks as they are happening. Uh, there are um, there there are mechanisms within Homeland Security to communicate information, and it, it usually by the time it gets uh, consolidated and scrubbed and 
ready for return uh, might run a cycle of uh, three weeks to four weeks. Uh, so the information is is uh, is well vetted by that time, but it's stale. Uh, so, uh, the, but, the, but nonetheless, it's still very valuable. So, uh, what we're trying to do is one uh, uh, we've got going currently is a, uh, a text-like list serve, uh, and um, we can put out a, a quick bulletin. Uh, we had a, um, a recent uh, a web defacement uh, that was uh, exploiting particular vulnerabilities. Uh, and I was able to win. It wasn't quite a tweet, but I don't know how many characters I didn't count it. But um, it's I could notify uh, my peers in the state of this particular uh, vulnerability that was uh, was exploited, and uh, what we've done about it. You know, very short, and then it goes out instantly. That's great. And well, uh, yeah, so that's uh, something we're working on. Yeah, but you've also been really your team. You and your team, I think, have been involved at the cybersecurity challenge. Oh yeah, like the Rocky Mountain. Uh, Is that CCDC? Or, yeah, yeah, the Rocky Mountains uh, Cyber, Cyber Collegiate, Collegiate Defense, Defense Competition. Competition. That's yeah. it. <laughs> so you know, I, I don't. We I haven't yeah. talked about this recently, yeah. but the CCDC is. I think it may be one of the most um, valuable, interesting educational things I've seen. Basically, you get college teams together, uh, and they're, they're assigned to um, defend or you know, secure an environment, um, and then they're competing against other college teams that are doing the same thing with, you know, with um, there's another, the red team out there that's trying yeah. to break in. And, um, yeah, we actually designed the, uh, the, the platform for the competition awesome. in the Rocky Mountain. Uh, we uh, set it up as a um, exploitation of the traffic network, and that we we brought our traffic engineering people to meet with other folks from Regis University, and um, they provided uh, hardware that they could use during the competition. I wasn't able to attend it, though, so I, I didn't actually see that. But, you know, we set up, like, you know, what's it take to hack a traffic light? And then what? Uh, and once you're in on that network, can you get to uh, another part of the city network? Yeah. And so we provided that framework uh, for last year's competition. And I think this year's competition is March, early March. I don't have dates off the top of my head. I'll, I will get it for okay. uh, for later. But uh, early, early March at Regis, and there there are uh, opportunities to come observe, and there's also opportunities to volunteer for anyone who's interested in getting involved. Yeah, we volunteered every year, I think, for the last several years. We've yeah. uh, also uh, provided financial support as well in the past. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, I, I really appreciate your guys' time. I think you got some great tips for people who are running security programs and some stories of stuff that went, went well. And how can I, can can I finish better? one yeah, on please. more of a of personal note, yeah. right, on what it's like to live with two security people in the same <laughs> house? <laughs> so our son, uh, our youngest son, is uh, just used to be, you know, he, he is just off to college this past fall, but he... When he was at home still, you know, he would hate going to dinner with us because he would say, all you're going to do is talk about work. And it is so boring, boring, boring. <laughs> you know, and we do have these discussions. You can imagine how, you know, at the end of the day and we go under the cone of silence. Yeah. Right. And uh, and then we discuss maybe some challenges or problems that we're facing um, in our jobs and give each other ideas, you know, right. on how to resolve that. So from that perspective, it's really great. But but I would say that, you know, I'm going to say this about Zach because uh, we were on our way home from school. We were ride-sharing when he was a senior. And, uh, you know, I he was thinking about colleges and where he wanted to go and what he wanted to major in and all of that. And he said to me one day, he goes, Mom, I want to do what you do. Wow. And I was like, so 
thrilled and proud of him. And so, yeah, he's a computer engineering major now off at Seattle University, but hopefully he'll turn into an excellent security professional one day because that's really where, you know, he has set his sights. So if we can get more people excited about this profession. um, You guys did your job at home. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we need to spread that around a little bit, but I wanted to end with that. Well, I, I would say, you know, one last question for you guys. What kind of advice would you have for someone who's looking to break into security who maybe doesn't have um, doesn't have the baseline skills? What should they go after and learn? What would you tell your son? You know, he wants to go after security. What have you told him? And, and what would you tell others who maybe want to do a career change and get into it? Well, can I, this, this is a, a back, back to the blast of the past. Um, so when I was um, first arrived in Denver, I was asked to be on a panel uh, Institute of Internal Auditors, the Denver chapter, was at a, at a panel. They wanted an IT auditor on there, and so I, uh, so I, so I went and volunteered. I was going to be the speaker, and um, <clears throat> or one of the speakers of, of several. And uh, and I had asked Gail um, that she was attending the event. I said, if nobody asks a question, how do I get into that profession? Would you please ask it? Hmm. And so uh, they were getting down. It was the, the, the end, and there were any final questions. And so then, then Gail remembered her, her job. Her job. My job. So she stood up, and she asked, uh, how does one get into IT auditing? Yeah. And I said, I'm so glad you asked that question. <laughs> and so what I had prepared in advance was a, uh, a nerd kit. And uh, so I said, well, the first thing you got to do is you got to look the part. And so then I pulled it, had these uh, eyeglasses that had the tape, you know, on the, over the nose piece, you know, so you got to put those on. You need a pocket protector, you know, brought out the pocket protector and put the pens. You got to have that. And it was, um, anyway, the place, you know, one of those <laughs> things you kind of had to be there, but uh, they, it was uh, totally very, very funny. Uh, but looking the part was was part of the very story. Important. Anyway, they thought, her people at Gail's table thought she was, uh, privy to what I was going to do, and she was not. She was told, <laughs> she kind of discovered early on that um, they'd be very careful with me. But, uh, you know, I think that to, to, to help somebody get into the profession, is, I think it's really, um, I, I'm, I wish I had a good answer for that. I think that there's a, a way that you need to get people into it, but, you know, this is a hard job, and it's the hardest job I've ever had um, in security, and, um, and it can be incredibly stressful. Uh, a lot of things are depending upon you making the right decision. And as you know, they say that a hacker's only got to be right once to get in. And, uh, and from a, the protection side, you've always got to be right. And, um, and a bad decision on my part can, can be catastrophic. And so, um, I don't know, I think the challenge is there. It's very rewarding. I think the, when you see, um, you know, the ability to, to, that a business can continue to go forward, uh, and you know, conduct its business. It's um, you know when you realize what what's going against it, uh, that's very rewarding. So um, there's yeah, a cu- yeah there's a couple things I think. If you're first of all, I think you have to have some background experience with technology, right? Yeah. I mean, this is a technical business, mm-hmm. so you have to have something. So you know, either you go to school for that or you've been a network administrator or you're a system administrator or something, right? You have to have some knowledge of technology. And then I find a lot of really good security people also are, you know, come out of the audit 
sector because they have a really strong knowledge of controls, yeah. IT, controls, general yeah. controls, and, <clears throat> and so on, you know. So the technology, the, the, the knowledge of controls, and sometimes you just, some of the best people in this business are people who just, you know, they, you have to have your, what we call the, your guys on, key, hands on keyboards, people who just love, they're, they're inquisitive and they're just going to look and search for stuff, right? And they're, they make your best investigators. And, and they're, you know, there's, to me, so there's a bunch of different skill sets, um, but clearly you have to have a passion for security. Yeah. When you get that passion, you'll be good at one of those aspects of the job. It takes different skill sets to do all those things, so... Yeah, your auditor, your your compliance person is not going to have the same skill set as your network security engineer mm-hmm. versus your application security engineer versus exactly. your forensics analyst. But they all have some stuff in common, right? They they're going to be inquisitive. They're they're going to understand what it whatever it is that they're analyzing. They have to know the the ins and outs of that, the technical details of that, and yep. you know, curious and want to learn. I think is probably you know, top of the list there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess you know, closing up here. Any any final comments? Anything else you want to shout out to the Denver community, the Colorado community? Oh, I think we just stay with it, <laughs> get involved, um, participate, and share. All right. Well, thank you very much, guys. Hey, you're welcome. All right. Have a good one. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.